0: Welcome to another episode of Spheres of Influence. This is the podcast where we talk about those important spheres or topics in our life, religion, politics, and culture. Hi, I'm Dennis Sanders and I am your host. Before we uh, get into today's topic, uh, just a reminder that if you can, please leave a review or a rating on whatever Um, podcast platform you um, listen to, it's really helpful for people to, um, this makes it a lot easier for people to find this podcast. And if you do that, that can can make a difference. Also, if you can, share it once you're done listening. There might be someone that may be interested in hearing um, a viewpoint that they haven't heard before finally i have um created a um basically it's a way now to accept donations so if you um hear this podcast you like what you've heard feel free to drop a donation um it does help in some ways and i'm not pushing uh, for it but i do want to put it make it available um that donations are accepted and, and also welcomed. Uh, So this week we are going to be talking uh, about race. And I wanted to start that off with a story. um, That can kind of explain what is going on here. So Back in the late 70s, I think maybe it was 1977 or 78, um, my dad found a new barber. And I think from, I don't know, from maybe the time I was about three or four, I would go with dad to a barber shop. And so he found this new barber. Um, Barber's name was Eddie. And Eddie had a barber shop that was located on, uh, Detroit street in Flint. Uh, um, <clears throat> that street is now named, uh, Martin Luther King Avenue. And just like I said, it was around 1977 or 78. He found out about, um, this new barber and decided he wanted to go. And so every, maybe once a month or, or maybe every, yeah we would um, go on a Saturday. And there was a little bit of a problem there because he would go on a Saturday, but that meant I would have to get up like around 5.30. And I have to explain, the barbershop opened at 7 and dad wanted to be there to be one of the first in line. And it was not unusual for uh, someone to already be waiting in their car um, by the time that we got there. And usually by the time we got there, it was around six. So I had to get up at 5.30 in the morning on a Saturday. And this is when I learned at the tender age of eight that I was not a morning person. If it were possible for me to have had coffee, then I would have had coffee. So... The doors opened up and, um, sometimes we were the first ones there. And if we were, um, when it was time to, um, get up into the barber chair, usually at that age, when I was still seven or eight, um, Eddie would put a kind of a box, um, on the barber chair to kind of prop me up so he could, uh, Give me uh, a cut. So, most times though, we were not always the first ones there, so we had to kind of wait. And so, as um, dad and I were waiting our turn, I would take a chance to kind of look around the shop. Of course, now this is an African American barber shop, so of course, there are going to be copies at least in that time copies of Ebony Magazine or Jet Magazine or Black Enterprise. And so you always went through these um, these magazines to read the stories of African-American businessmen and stars and sports figures. One aside, it was always interesting at the, the if you looked at the back of the Jet Magazine There was always basically that month's woman in a swimsuit, which probably was the dream of many an African-American young man back then. Uh, But even though I wasn't gay yet, it kind of didn't really fascinate me. Other than there's someone in a bathing suit. Anyway, if you were seated in this barbershop and you were getting your trim, One of the things that I remember, and as you're seated in the barber chair and you see this on the opposite wall, was this sign. Now, the sign was in uh, simple black, but the lettering was in pink. And I remember that that poster actually stayed up for many years, uh, at least through the late 70s and maybe into into the early 80s. What I remember is what it said, and it was fairly simple. It just said three words. Black is beautiful. Black is beautiful. That was a phrase that was everywhere throughout the 1970s. And, you know, this was a time, it was the first full decade after the passage of laws like the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act, and obviously that allowed for African-Americans to have more freedom than they have had before. In the 1970s, it's not that racism was gone. It still existed, but now people could sleep in basically any hotel they chose or any restaurant they could go in and grab food in any restaurant that they wanted to visit. So, I was born in 1969, and if you think about it, I was part of a generation, not just of African Americans, but of, of people from all backgrounds that really didn't have any memory of whites-only signs or, or any kind of sign of official segregation. What we do remember is this kind of flowering of Black pride uh, from the late 1960s onward, You know, there were the songs that were out there. James Brown was calling us to say it loud, I'm Black and I'm proud. And Nina Simone was talking about being young, gifted, and Black. And this was also a time that being Black entered the culture, the the popular culture, you know, we saw the rise of TV shows that featured African-Americans, um, like the Jeffersons or Good Times. Um, artists were getting more and more, um, attention, not just among, in the soul charts, but th- things that were getting in the pop charts and in the wider culture, um, this was, of course, the year the time of Marvin Gaye when he um released his seminal album "What's Going on," which didn't just focus on black issues, but it did but it was in many ways focused about some of the problems that that African Americans were still facing. uh Stevie Wonder at that time also came out with a lot of social issues that were general, but yet also focused on issues that affected African-Americans. This was a time, I think, when I felt, at least from my own memory, there was a time of pride. Um, Like I said, there were still issues, but there was a lot of pride about who people, who Black people were. And, you know, one of the most popular shows, TV shows, of the 1970s was Soul Train. And the fact that you saw kind of this version of, you know, American bandstand, but in chocolate, and you saw people in, of course, in all the 70s outfits and hairstyles, but it brought this culture that had been marginalized more front and center than it had ever been before. And that pride extended into how I think kids were raised. Um, During my elementary years, I think my mom would either borrow or purchase books um, to help me to see that there were in in history, that there were African-American statesmen and doctors, and inventors, and business leaders. It was there. It was through this that I learned about Charles Drew, who was the discoverer of blood plasma, or Elijah McCoy, who was a, a prodigious inventor, inventor. There was this sense that after decades of being basically told that we were stupid or incapable of doing anything, there was this push among African Americans to really stand tall, and to know that after everything that had been thrown at us for centuries, from slavery to Jim Crow, it seemed like, especially in that time period, we were trying to tell the rest of the world that we survived and we thrived. So that was the way that we were talking about things in the 70s, I think it really even persisted into the 80s. But as we look into our modern day, I don't know if black pride in that way is the name of the game anymore. And of course, when I talk about pride, it's not to the exclusion of any other people But it is actually talking about pride in who we are, Um, after such a long experience of not being told that we were anything, to now see that we were somebody, uh, to paraphrase Jesse Jackson. But something has changed. Something now has changed. The pride that I saw in the 70s, especially, and into the 80s, has it feels like that has gone away, and in its place has is victimhood and resentment. And I don't know if anymore people understand that black is beautiful. I mean, I think that in my youth, the way that we were defined, or at least what I understood it meant to be A black man was a sense of perseverance that no matter what had been thrown at us no matter the the obstacles we worked to thrive now it doesn't mean that everyone who those who had to face those barriers were able to overcome them but there was at least the spirit to try What's interesting now is how much what has happened or how we are defined. We aren't defined in that same way, I think, that we were in the 1970s, when it was a a sense of pride in our culture and our background. Now it seems that the way that we are defined is not by positives, but by negatives. We are defined by slavery. We are defined by discrimination. Now, for African Americans, these two evils, slavery and Jim Crow, are part of our experience. We can't pretend they don't exist because they are part of who we are. But they're not all of who we are. As, I was, as I've been trying to talk about, there is a vast background and history of African-American life here in America that is bigger than just slavery and Jim Crow. And it doesn't mean that we ignore those two because, as I said, they are part of our experience. If we ignore them, then we ignore ourselves. But they're not all of who we are. At least that's what I thought. It seems now... I worry that we are defined by these experiences and we view ourselves as African-Americans as damaged by the past. I feel like now there's this a lot of talk about escaping whiteness. But when there's talk about it, it basically is saying we can't escape whiteness everything in our lives is diminished because of whiteness the the wider culture i think now is that, that that is picking up this message that i think started in some parts of the black community has now gone into the wider culture and the wider culture it now is saying talking about the fact that african americans are people that have been held down by oppression. I want to give one example, and it's an example actually of, of a, something that I really like. So I hope whoever is listening to it doesn't like think I don't like this, or that I don't like their, what they're trying to do. So there is this YouTube series that I, I love to watch called Extra History. <laughs> Um, they are, if you've watched it, well, basically what they do is they use um, cartoons to kind t- of t- tell the story of history. Not just American history, but world history. And it's, it's I think it's a well-produced, well, um, very popular um, YouTube channel. And I think that they have done some really good stories on African Americans. They have actually even gone as far as making sure that they have an African American historian that is telling some of these stories, stories like the Tulsa um, race massacre. I think it's a story that not many of uh, not many people um, know about, and especially now this year we're at this uh, the centennial remembrance it's important to kind of talk about that and i think there was an episode that they do that i think is very good they also um have done some others that i don't know i they felt like they didn't highlight as much the positives um about how these people in some ways broke down barriers um There is this recent episode, and it basically talks about um, several black boxers um, in the 20th century, boxers like Joe Louis and uh, Muhammad Ali. And I think, you know, I was looking forward to hearing this one because there were so many examples of how these black athletes were standing up to racism, whether it was the Nazi propaganda machine when it was Joe Lewis or protesting against a war that you don't believe is just such as Muhammad Ali. And there is a sense of pride that they were able to do this. And even though I think, you know, for me, there was a sense of pride that even that Muhammad Ali was willing to go to jail, to put his career, basically to, to, threaten his career uh, because of what he believed. But I sometimes feel how the video is presented. It presents the stories really more with a sense of sadness that these people have had to, or have been basically crushed by oppression. And that is part of the story, but there is also a positive of that story. And I felt that wasn't always talked about. So the question is, what has happened? How did black pride become black victimhood? Now, John McWhorter, who is a linguist at Columbia, um, also um, an African-American that talks about a lot of race issues. Um. has said that we are in the midst of what is called, he would call third wave anti-racism, which obviously means there are two other waves of anti-racism. And um, so, he, and he explains, you know, probably the first um, anti-racism would have taken place just after the civil rights movement, Um, later on, it would go to, um, kind of the seventies and eighties. And then now we are in this third one and, um, the third wave of anti-racism, um, is a little different. It's different from the first two, um, and how it's different is that it is more focused on how we are still enthralled to white supremacy and white privilege. You know, when I was growing up in the seventies and eighties, it was important for you to achieve. You, you had to be an achiever. And I remember even hearing. You know, the phrase, you have to work twice as hard as a white person to be half as good. That's a phrase I heard over and over. There were these this push in in values that you had to excel, um, that you needed to push yourself so that you can succeed. But now, it seems like things... The things that we had, I had talked about, the things that I had grew up with, the sense of perseverance, the sense of achievement, of hard work, or being on time, are things that are considered part of whiteness. Um, many people might remember the, um, the infograph that was put out by the... Um, Museum on African American History, which was just quite surprising that it was talking about, you know, what is uh, whiteness and white culture, you know, things such as the Protestant work ethic or uh, following time schedules or um, any type of things that, a lot of different things that we would think are just common sense, are now simply viewed as white. And so these things that we have believed were supposed to help us to study hard, to work hard, are now kind of being devalued know african-americans back in my youth strove to define themselves and and there was a sense of empowerment and it feels like today that's not a word actually afraid that I hear anymore I don't hear a word of empowerment I don't feel that we are empowered in the way that we used to be now the writer uh, Connor Friedersdorf he writes for the Atlantic Talked to this um, young woman, uh, Nadona um, Boyayay, um, who is an African American mother of two kids um, in Evanston, Illinois. She was shocked when she moved into town. This was and and she had went through the the Evanston schools when she was young, and had moved away and now moved back. She was really looking forward to her kids experiencing what she believed was the same empowering and racially inclusive education that she received as a child. But it didn't work out that way. What she found instead was a curriculum that really disempowered black kids and made it harder for them to succeed. And she writes or she in the interview she explains how this anti-racist curriculum has affected her kids and this is what she says my children have always been so proud of who they are then all of a sudden they started to question themselves because of what they were taught after arriving here my son wanted to be a lawyer since he was 11 then one day he came home and told me but mommy There are systems in place that prevent black people from accomplishing anything. That's what they're teaching black kids, that all of this time for the past 400 years, this is what white people have done to you and your people. The narrative is you can't get ahead. Of course, I want my children to know about slavery and Jim Crow, but I want it to be balanced out with the rest of the truth. They're not taught about black people who accomplished things in spite of white supremacy or about the black people today who got ahead, built things, achieved things, and those who had opportunities that their ancestors fought for. You have to wonder this emphasis that we can't get ahead. How is that going to affect black children across the nation? Because Black is Beautiful really, I think, encouraged you to be successful, to to know that things were possible. Especially after years and decades of laws that try to hold us down, we could be the best. Even if we didn't get as far as we hoped. We knew that it was a possibility, and we knew that because we knew of all of these African-American inventors and business people and scientists who broke barriers, and they built pride. And I worry about the current generation, that what they are being taught is that they will always be under the heel of white privilege that they will be taught that they can't be someone that makes a difference in the world and that they won't ever succeed. Obviously, it's been many years since I saw that poster about this, that black is beautiful. I don't know if Eddie's Barbershop is even still there anymore. I believe I'm pretty sure Eddie passed away a long time ago, as did my dad. But I still look at that time and look at that poster and look at the sense of a time when, I, when there was a bit of more hope in our world as African-Americans. I still believe that black is beautiful. What I hope is that someday soon other African-Americans, both young and old, will believe that again as well. Well, thank you for uh, taking part in this uh, commentary episode of um, Spheres of Influence. Again, um, I would love if you would leave a uh, review on a podcast platform um, or a rating a four or five star rating that would be great it helps people know about who we are also if this is also posted on social media um, if you are uh, we do have a Facebook page um, and I hope that you would uh, consider joining it and that's also where we try to post some of the prior episodes Um, I'm going to try to post up some other related articles uh, that might be of help um, to people just so that um, just to keep people kind of up to date on what's going on. Well, again, I want to thank you and um, we'll be back here again. Uh, I'm hoping to try to do another episode this week. I have a few things to do work-wise that may make it hard, but we'll see about that. Um, So, take care, stay tuned, and Godspeed.